Welcome to Ancient and Justified. MTV Party Zone. Revisit it. With me, James Hyman. And with me, Simone Angel. We are here today, well, you're here to interview two very, very interesting, intriguing, can I say decadent? Would they yeah. be offended if I said decadent? People, Claire and Mike from Manumission. Yeah. Almost 25 years ago, we were out in Ibiza filming some Party Zone Ibiza summer specials. First time for me in Ibiza was 98. Had you been before? 88. That's how everything started for me. If I hadn't been there... Nothing would have happened. I never would have ended up on MTV. It was the rave scene that I discovered in 88 in Ibiza that drew me to London afterwards. And the rest is history. And, and yeah, I became a raver. So 10 years later, yeah, we all went back for MTV. Now, personally, I remember us being at this, what was it, at Manumission, the motel, the hotel, the brothel, <laughs> yeah. whatever it was, you know, how it was perceived. I don't really remember even you interviewing Claire Mike. We did a lot of activity around that hotel. Do you remember actually interviewing Claire and Mike? For Maybe not for Party Zone. I can't remember. I know that Lawrence Coe, who also worked on Party Zone with us, of course, for many years, Lawrence and I uh, filmed part of the Manumission mm. movie. So we went back again and... Yeah, we're part of that. So so one section of that movie was actually done by by us. Yeah. So I definitely interviewed them. Um, but whether we did for Party Zone or not, I cannot remember. I don't remember much no. of that particular shoot, to be honest. What, what I think is interesting, as you say, they had the they had the movie. There was so much myth attached to Manumission. And I mean, Claire's recently written a memoir about her time and in fact like she was probably having such a good time that she had to ask a lot of people to oh, fill yeah. in the gaps you know yeah. there's black spots when you've had such a chaotic incredible run which they did with that uh club manumission and everything it did and the spectacle of it quite incredible i i look when you do this interview obviously I think you could almost have a podcast series on all the anecdotes itself. There were so many people, oh. I mean, celebrities, non-celebrities, characters, you know, Howard Marks, all these people who kind of, Irvin Welsh, a lot of, you know, interesting cultural people crossed through there, all the top DJs, you know, you could have a podcast series yeah. alone on just the myth and the anecdotes yeah. for manumission. Um, just a couple of things I would say to Claire and Mike, I mean, any regrets they've had from it? And any, obviously, you know, I think with her memoir, she's wanted to tell her and their side of the story. Anything that they kind of ever, you know, read about, heard about, they thought, that's not fair. That's not nice. I don't like that. That's really harsh. That's not true. Not, you know, that really affected them because so much was written. Yeah, I mean, it was great to write about them. And it was great to write about the club and about the Manumission Motel. It was notorious. And rightly so. I mean, pfft. How, I don't even know how to explain it to someone who wasn't there. But basically, it was the hedonism turned up to the max, mm. like up to the point where you're literally walking around going, okay, this can go so drastically wrong, like any minute now. Like I'd be walking around going, I mean, are people going to die here? Like what? It's just, it was just nuts. I remember. It's true. It's true. It's true. Yeah. I mean, it was. It the freedom. Claire talks a lot about the freedom that they had back then as compared to now. And it's true, that freedom was almost, you're right, it's dangerous. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised there was not more, maybe it's things we don't know about or heard about. But yeah, you're right, It was a that was a fuse waiting to just blow up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was kind of partly blowing up every night. <laughs> it was, but um, yeah, it was, it was great to have witnessed and to have been there. And uh, I'm sure we're going to have some amazing stories. We're going to hear some, some good stuff from Mike and Claire for sure. Um, yeah. And they're back. Before you kind of go to the what's happening now, which is amazing. They have relaunched with Alien. What would it, what would extraterrestrials think of manumission and what's going on there almost 25 years later? 
I just love this thing here. This is Carl Cox. I saw this girl with a tattoo of flames coming out of her bottom. It's a great hotel to stay at for one night, but you won't get any peace and quiet. <laughs> there you go. That was from the Face magazine. Get on with it. Yeah. Thanks, James. Thank you. Right. <laughs> Mike, Claire, oh my goodness. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Thanks. So where so are you? You're um where do you live? I'm Belize, in, no? I'm in Belize. I'm out in the tropics. Yeah. Amazing. Wow. wow, how's that? It's uh it's peaceful. Yes. Yeah. Unlike your life, I think your life has been slightly manic lately, right? Lately, yes, but yes. before lately, we've been in the forest as well for like seven years. <laughs> so, pretty. Yeah. Uh, it's been very tranquil, but now it's been absolutely manic. Right. Yeah, we live show. in a national park, so it's there's no neighbours. A national park. Wow. Yeah. With rivers and wild boar and yeah. yeah. But in a but yeah, it's, no, 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 we left to be. We live in Barcelona. Oh, oh my goodness! For some yeah. reason, I still had you guys because to me, you are Ibiza. I mean, man, you mentioned Mike and Claire. That's Ibiza. Yeah, wow. we, you know, we came to the stage. We just had to kind of get off the island for a bit with the kids. They were all like teenage, and you know. Yeah, it was a good move. It was a great move. Yeah. So let's go. Let's go back. Um, Hot. It's so funny because I know our paths cross so many times and I have no timeline in my head at all. It's like everything is just mashed into one big <laughs> like kind of jumbled mess. So let's just for manumission, let, give me a little bit of a timeline with manumission. Like what started when, what ended when, just so I get a little bit of clarity in my head. Yeah, start maybe from the beginning. So, so manumission began in Ibiza in 94. It ended in 2008. So, uh, wow. The Manumission, yeah. the Manumission Motel was 1998. That mm -hmm. was like the pinnacle of madness. Right. Uh, Manumission, the movie was the year before, 1997. Mm -hmm. That was the year um, before. The year before. So, you were there for, for the, the year before and for the screening on uh, the, the movie uh, premiere, which is Claire's premiere, birthday. Which is my birthday. Oh. Um, yeah, in 1998. And and then that was like the pinnacle of, of, of madness. manumission madness. Yeah. And then after that, it kind of found a new rhythm that we could cope with physically. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay, so for, yeah. for anyone who who listens or watches this, who doesn't know manumission? So describe in your own words what manumission was. Do you want to start? Yeah, well, manumission was a huge, fantastic party where you could do anything you wanted the idea was everybody was free to do whatever they wanted as long as they didn't hurt anybody else and uh, it attracted all kinds of people from all over the world all nationalities sexualities probably religions too and everybody got on it was uh, yeah it was a pretty epic party it was in the biggest in when it was in ibiza it was in the, the biggest club in the world and we consistently filled that for 14 years and yeah. I think one of the big things that stood out with what we did were the, the concepts. Um, every year, Mike and I designed like an overarching concept and, you know, be it Manumission the Movie, um, Murder at the Manumission Motel, um, Phantasmagorical Manumission Mystery. It was all like, um, it was just our way of, uh, it's kind of like our vision and our way of expressing. Manumission was a very, you know, it had a, a strong identity but it was kind of our self-appointed role to keep reinventing it. And it was always a reflection of what was really important to us that was going wrong with the world at the time, whether it was the world was too prudish or there was too much violence or, you know, and then we kind of expressed that with our gang of um, misfits. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, everything you guys did was so theatrical and so eccentric. So, so take me all the way back. I mean, growing up, did you guys grow up? in very theatrical families, very eccentric families, or not really? Um, I I think my family thinks I, You've got an eccentric I family, I think yeah. pretty eccentric. There's a lot of singing, a lot of dancing, a lot of drinking. Um, you know, parties were one of the major, like, important, you know, factors in, in my family life. And then as soon as I was 13, I started sneaking into nightclubs 
So from a very young age, I discovered uh, that kind of sense of freedom and expression that, you know, nightclubs gave me. Um, and then, yeah, as soon as I was not quite old enough, I went to Ibiza and uh, met Mike. <laughs> and that was my kind of, uh, yeah, voyage. And, and my family wasn't particularly theatrical or anything at all either. Well, yours was maybe more. Um, but I was always very artistic. And, uh, and my dad, it turns out, was the person that organised the parties in the officers' mess in in the RAF. Yeah. With, you know, like, but I never saw any connection with that, but I, I'm sure I grew up, there were kind of rubber masks and strange things, like, <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> which will sound really odd, but like, they were more, <laughs> more like kind of character masks of things from Doctor Who or I don't know what. Right. Growing up, you know, like, uh, but... Uh, no, no, Mike I, got an art scholarship for, to school and he studied um, architecture at UCL, at the Bartlett. So I think a lot of our design methods have come from Mike's uh, like formal studies. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we followed a lot of those strict... Yeah, we like, do. Yeah, yeah, we continue to, yeah. And so Manumission initially started in Manchester, right, Mike? It did. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. It, it was quite... It, it was it kind of inspired by the gay scene too, right? That you had encountered in in like New York and everything. Is that right? Sure. Yeah, yeah, to a, to a degree. I mean, I I'm from a village in Lincolnshire, so I, I and I didn't want to. I wanted to leave the village and, and and go to London, which was a very crazy idea for the other people from the village who had no no desire to leave the village and go to London. And then once I'd been to London. A university. I wanted to live in New York and Paris, so I spent a few years bobbing around between London, New York, and Paris, and you know, and going to parties. and uh, And the ones that were best for me were the ones in the gay scene, yeah. because back in those times, the the straight club scene was really kind of very uninspired. It was very like, and and a fight could always kick off at any time. Whereas in the gay scene, everybody was dancing. It was great. There were beautiful women. It was. Was, you know, there was everything to be loved in the gay scene. So um, when I left New York and came back to live with my brother in Manchester, um, told him, and I told him how good the parties were in New York, he then said that, he, well, he'd said they were great in Manchester. Well, I, I went out to see them, and they weren't great at all. They were just um, just a DJ and a bunch of people in a club. It was like, you know, after what I'd seen, it was, I said, Andy, we, we could do better than this. And that's how it started off. It's, it's, he said, well, why don't we? Yeah, I quite like. And so I heard you. I heard you talk about a story, which I really loved. How you managed to make it a like a mixed straight and gay club, and it was something to do. Will you just repeat that? Because I heard you talk about the flyer that you created, which to me was. How did you hear that story? How did you hear that story? I just heard it. So tell me the story. Okay, sure. So no, well, so the plan was to do a mixed night and. Um, and all the gay crowds, so they said they, none of the gay crowd would go to a mixed night. In the, and I said, oh, really? They weren't? So I, um, I drew this, this kind of this flyer, this poster, and I put on it, uh, I drew this ordinary-looking bloke, and I wrote on it, John Wayne, security guard. Last week, I went to Manumission, and I discovered that men give better blowjobs. Now I've left the wife and kids and live with my boyfriend, Tom. <laughs> and, then underneath, and then underneath it said, um, hell... Um, Health warning, manumission could seriously damage your reputation as an insecure heterosexual male. And and then left it at that. Well, then then I fly posted these all over Manchester, big posters. I, I made them in a, in a photocopy place. And um, anyway, they were everywhere, all around the gay village. And when we opened, all the gay crowd came flocking in. Wow. But, uh, that's just, I, that's a genius move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was a good one. And so, and what about what about the straight guys then that came? They were all they were all cool about it because it meant anybody straight who was coming had to be pretty right. comfortable with who they were. So, it, and it was a really good back in those days. If anybody did come that looked like they were at all, um, sorry about the background noises. It's, Just animals, um, right? The yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wild boar. Yeah. Um, uh, if a dodgy looking straight guy came, I, I would tell them, you know, this is a mixed night and there's a lot of, there's a lot of gay guys in there and, and they might want to touch you a little bit. Is that okay? 
And these guys would go like this. And I'd say, because if you're not comfortable with that, I think maybe you'd be better at the Hacienda or, wow. or home. And they'd say, they'd say, thanks, mate, and they'd leave. So I never had to, it was always a very easy door. And then sometimes people would come, one time particularly, I came in a big scar down his face and he looked really terrified. And, and he said, no, no, I just want to come in and dance. And he says, you know, I said, the gay, the gay bit. He said, no, no, me, me good, me brother's gay, mate. My brother's gay. I just want to come in and dance. Anyway, this terrifying guy came in and danced all night. Yeah. And I was like, that was great. You know, like. Uh, so, so do you think that that's kind of what also helped with manumission? Because manumission, of course, was very fluid, very mixed. Do you think that's mm-hmm. what kept the atmosphere good there as well? Possibly. I mean, for us, the gay scene was like the heart of of manumission. Do um, you remember the Coco Loco bar mm-hmm. over to the side when you, you came in and then the Coco Loco bar was where all the drag queens would, would like hang out. It's the gay heart of the club. It's where manumission actually started and, and expanded to fill the whole venue. Yeah. So for us it was such an important um, element and I just adored the drag queens and, um, and probably maybe because that was where our focus was, that kind of love just, you know, spilled over into the you know, into the kind of they were very, very. I mean, Manny Mission in Manchester came out of a gay club, like it was a mixed night. Manny Mission in Ibiza started in the Coco Loco, which was the, the, the gay heart of the club. And they were really, really important from the very beginning. So it was always, they were the people we were trying to keep happy, you know, like in a way. It was like, it was our party for us and them. And then all the other thousands could come in and hopefully enjoy it too, which. And actually, we never had any um, trouble with it. And it was kind of like natural selection. People would just go wherever they felt comfortable. And you had these most amazing mixtures of characters, didn't you? Some of the like real, you know, English Sanan kind of kids really gelled with some of the Spanish uh, drag queens. Yeah. You know, so you just had this amazing kind of chemistry going on. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think it it really fitted again with the whole theatrical side, um, you know, because of course, I mean, who's more theatrical than, than. A drag queen, you know, it's like it's all about the show. And of course, with, with you guys, it's funny actually. I was talking to Caroline Prothero, you know, the old manager of David Guetta. Yeah. I was saying to Caroline, I was interviewing you guys, and she said, What did she say again? She said, It's quite amazing. She was actually talking about the shows that you guys were doing, and she was mm-hmm. saying how for her, she, she said it made her feel very liberated. Um, she said it was interesting. She said, on the one hand, what you guys were doing was almost something that would fit uh, in the gay scene a lot more, but you guys were doing it for heterosexuals. And she felt, she found that very empowering. And she said, because she was, and then she started to send me, I've got to, I've got to read this stuff out to you. So, so, <laughs> so to her, so this was all about female sexual empowerment. You know, you can look at it, of mm-hmm. course, in a lot of different ways, but this is how she saw it. And she sent me all these things about UK laws and how restrictive certain UK laws were for women. And I was really shocked when she sent me those. Wow. So apparently it was only in 1980 that women could apply for credit cards and loans. From 1982 really? was when women could no longer be refused service in a pub. 1982. 1982. From 1991, it became illegal to, you, you couldn't rape your wife uh, if she didn't want to have sex. So basically, you know, rape inside oh a marriage God. was legal because a man had conjugal rights up until 1991. Jesus. And from 1993, violence against women was actually that there was legislation against it because they said it was a violation against their human rights. So up until 1993, theoretically, you could beat your wife. And so she was saying within that framework, there was you guys. Now, you can look at it in however different ways you want to look at it. But for her, it was about empowerment. Was that what it was for you? It was. It It was was about freedom. It was about freedom. It was about Mm -hmm. anti-violence. It was about sex, you know, against violence. And then after I did the first performance, the reaction that I got from, from women was just astounding. It was like it was like that. It was how Caroline felt it. It was very much like, wow, I feel so powerful, and thank you so much. You know, it was like the, the some of the straight guys just stood back. They were like, didn't know what to say. The drag queens just embraced that the the gay scene suddenly embraced me, and you know, for going out there on a limb and doing that. Um, so yeah, the reaction was amazing. And then and then like you know. 
the kind of the public reaction was just like you know it was just insane the the fuss that was made about it the tabloids you know some of the insane and some of the people within our own organization didn't like it so it really did cause like a huge um, polarization it was yeah it was massive um Mm. but it was yeah it was funny that that feeling i got was very much about an empowerment but you have to remember too Simone, it wasn't really that we were doing this for the straight scene no not at all we were making a party (laughs) and everybody was welcome it just happened but we hung out in the gay scene the girls that i was doing the show with i mean they're totally you know I wouldn't call them gay straight. It just wasn't a thing. It was, you know, whoever was, you know, took. It just wasn't even an, uh, you know, we didn't even it's, redefine it. Still it still shouldn't be a thing. No. You know, really. No, that's true. But, just, but if, if you were on your stage, life, your body, if you were you on know? stage with us, it, you would, you, it wasn't a heterosexual thing. It wasn't, yeah. <laughs> definitely not, right. you know. So, no, but what she yeah. meant, I think what she meant was you didn't see that kind of stuff. It, with straight oh, like, oh, you know what no, I mean? no. like you could see something like that yeah. maybe in, in a gay club at the time totally yes. yeah but definitely not you know no, definitely not in that environment no no and who would have thought so there's you guys there's this crazy hedonistic thing that you guys are, are part of and here you are after all these years still together i'm sure <laughs> back then people would not have betted on that no. i know we um we had our launch of our new um, show a couple of weeks ago and our friend Vaughan was there. Do you, I don't know if you remember Vaughan from Pasha. He's the black guy with the African with the big hats. So he used to be in the rock bar. Oh, okay. I think so, yeah. I'm sure you remember him. Yeah. And he was saying that everybody there, a lot of our old friends were there and they were like, how the fuck did Mike and Claire manage to stay together <laughs> with what they were doing? <laughs> Nobody else has managed. No, no. It's like, it's insane. But yeah. So what's the secret? Um... I think partly we do everything together. We, you know, because we work together as well as have family and being a couple. Um, I, I don't know. I think I, I always say it's like. I mean, years ago I thought this. It's like, you know, like two people don't really gel perfectly together ever. There's always going to be sort of like things that, and that are going to great, for example. But I always say it's the the sand in the oyster that makes the pearl. So. If you're, if you can kind of wear on together, eventually something beautiful will happen. You know, like you get to know each other, you get to kind of, you know. But but it's not easy, <laughs> not easy. <laughs> especially because we work together and we get, you know, and then your ego gets involved and you're like, we have to, we have we've had to learn a lot to, you know, control our yeah, me that, control my temper. That's the sound you know. in the oyster. Yeah. yeah. We've, so yeah. so what which bit was harder than as a couple that crazy stage or the stage that came after as far as your relationship goes because it's very different dynamics obviously mm-hmm. the stage that came after was made difficult by the stage by that the came stage. before um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so i always say like the motel was kind of the best and the worst um kind of uh of manumission yeah. it was you know um and and the kind of the good and bad um and what came after for manumission was amazing you know like yeah what where we got to creatively and yeah incredible stage shows with like 60 performers and enormous stage sets and i mean nobody in the world was doing and still are doing anything like that yeah you know like so um and I think it's a bit of, you know, also having the family, the children, the three children, and also... The, also, the, the also probably living on our own in a mountain house off-grid, you know, it's like... Uh, no, and the love for our work too. We oh have yeah, a big we love passion for, you know, writing together, creating together, the shows, film scripts, everything we do, um, we do together, yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So let me play. Let me play a clip. Um, I'm going to do a little screen share. Which one shall I do? This is about the motel, I think. So let me do. John Carter. I had an amazing room with a waterbed and spa in the corner. People can do whatever they like, and no one thinks twice about it or goes on about it afterwards. There were all kinds of strip shows going on, but I didn't see any of them because I had my missus with me. It's one of the maddest parties I've been to in my life. There's nothing sordid or sick about it. It's as outrageous as you want it to be. The only thing I saw that was unpleasant and over the top was Derek DeLarge. And here's Derek DeLarge. 
The motel's crazy. It's a beautiful old building painted bright pink. People like Elle McPherson, the Rolling Stones, Maradona and Sean Ryder have all been along. I don't want to lay down the dirt on anybody, but let's just say people have been swinging from the rafters. It's like Pompeii with everybody clowning around and ending up in waterbeds with other people. Pete Tong. It's a bit like Norman Bates' motel on acid. Allegedly, they have a trolley that's all wrapped up in fur with turntables on it. The idea is you can wheel the turntables into your room and have a party whenever you want. Ah, we've written a book, yeah. I know you've yes, written a book. Know. I'm going to talk about that too. But tell me about tell me about the motel. So you guys were obsessed with wanting to start a motel, right? And you've been seeing... No, no, we, no, no, no. We wanted this one we, particular abandoned brothel. There was, there was, yeah. This pink triangular building, its address was El Cruce de Jesus, which means the cross of Jesus. And it looked like something out of a Tarantino film. And we'd just done Manny Mission, the movie, the year before. And we thought, okay, we were four years into Manny Mission. We'd done four years. And we're like, if we want to stay, like, cool and relevant, we really need to have something more intimate for, you know, our friends and the island. And we thought, that place, we had that place. And we decided that if we had, like, a 24-7 party, you know. <laughs> destination. <laughs> destination, that that would be great for everybody. Um, and so Little then, did we know. <laughs> and so then we cast it like a movie. Um, you know, we used to hang, we used to live in New York in the winters, so we invited um, our friends who were, like, badass New York strippers to come and stay with us, and MC Otter, who was a sex performer from New Orleans, and Johnny the Dwarf on the door, um, and, and then the Cato, we cast as the cook, even though he couldn't cook, just as he looked like Al Pacino in the kitchen in the Sea of Love. We thought, well, he'll be the cook. I can't cook. No, no, you'll be great. And, you then, and then we had um, DJ Jerome. We had Jerome came in. He was the, the DJ from Juicy in New York. Juicy was this amazing lipstick lesbian club we used to hang out in. And uh, and then we had the manumission DJs. So every single week there was the influx of. <laughs> and we had you. Yeah. You and uh, yeah. So it was just you know it was just this recipe for absolute trouble. You know it was. But, but very innocent trouble because what was great about the motel is we basically is we did the deal on it. There were there were no telephones at all to start with. There was there was no real financial control. In well, our business all. partners pulled out, so there was nobody in control. It was just you know, which which it wouldn't have been, you know, it would Anywhere. never have reached those heights if there had been right. somebody in control. So it was absolutely perfect that way. But it just meant that it was like the lunatics had literally taken over. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. Andrew Innes from Primal Scream said it was the most decadent, decadent place. place he'd ever been in his whole life. In the, in, in the true sense of the word, yeah. because it was really a, a just this great, very innocent, fun where we could do anything we wanted, and uh, could, there were even magic mushrooms growing in the um, in the, the, in the in fridge. Because Eric, the owner, who's, who's Dutch, he you know didn't like illegal drugs, but he said fresh magic mushrooms were not illegal, so he imported them. We they were in the fridge. We'd break into the fridge and we'd eat these magic mushrooes, or I would anyway. Right, <laughs> yeah, and we'd go on. It's like it was like Alice in Wonderland, the whole place in a way. Yeah. How funny! I didn't know about the mushrooms. Yeah, and it's funny because um, James was saying when we went with MTV, he said, "Yeah, it's kind of weird. I don't think we interviewed Mike and Claire." But then it makes sense because you wouldn't let press into the motel, right? No, no that's right. I mean, yeah. we were there, yeah. but not with the camera, obviously. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Press were banned. Um, that was part of the strategy, so people would be really relaxed. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that worked. <laughs> it worked. It meant that, you know, you knew once you were in there, you were safe. Even though we had Phil, the photographer, filming everything and taking pictures. Well, now that's so, very funny as well, because we've actually got like 17 hours or something of, of motel, raw motel footage. Oh, my God. It's insane. <gasps> it's absolutely insane. Has that been used? <laughs> You, no. and, you no. and Lisa in the corridor. No. <laughs> Seriously? Oh my Oh my god. Yeah. I just remember being with Lisa and then I can't remember basically this this joint decision was made that Lisa was not in a fit state to go and do her radio show. So the decision was made that um they should just call the BBC and say that she'd been kidnapped. Oh. So that's why it started to go all so drastically wrong because they got a phone call. Oh no! Oh, a little 
warped sense of oh, judgment. Oh, thinking that, that'll work. That's a great idea. <laughs> They'll go for that. that yeah, Perfect. they thought at the time that seemed like a good idea. So, yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> Oh, oh my god yeah actually our book is set over that whole that weekend and there comes this time when nobody can remember what happened so we've been asking all the people who were staying with us to contribute their memory and everyone's got this slightly different kind of version of, of when it's like it's like having this out of body experience we've got all these different eyes on all this mm -hmm. stuff which is insane yeah and, and so, so and so you're trying to gather all these memories for your book yes mm. yeah yeah yeah. And so the book, so the, book the book is out? No, 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 no. It's it's been crowdfunded and so it's reached its um it reached its target. It reached its target. So it will be published. And so which is great. And, and now so we're in the kind of the writing and writing, editing process. Editing process. Um but we've got this one whether it's a chapter it'll probably be a chapter at the end where we open it up to everybody else's experiences. Um and it's also really useful for us because, you know, I mean it was so intense that I think we'll weave it through. I think we'll weave it through yeah. because the stories are I think, hilarious. yeah, because some of the stories we're getting back from people are, are very funny. And um, and yeah, it's it's just then we can place those people and those experiences. It, it'll be it'll make the book better. Yeah, you know, really, um, yeah, we could maybe expand at the end of the book with I think longer, so because longer <laughs> versions. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. quite a project because so much crazy stuff happened. I mean, just give me just give me one funny story of something in the motel. Just just any random fun because I mean there's there's so many, but just tell me one funny moment oh, that God. you remember. Um there's so many of them. I mean, you know, breaking in uh breaking in before we actually owned a motel we um we took we were out of pasha with all of our friends and decided to Good. well Start actually right the... take you one step back we've gone to meet with the owner we've just been in Cannes with um urban welsh and chris needs and in brighton with wall of sound and skin fat boy slim john carter the whole gang the whole gang and Stuart Price, and then we went to. Uh, We've been on an inviting mission. On, everybody, yeah. we, we, everybody's coming to the motel. We've been around We'd, everywhere inviting everyone. We'd to come met the owner. We told him we were going to have the motel. He told us we couldn't have the motel. We'd said, well, we, "Yeah, we're going to have the motel." We went back to the UK, shot the whole campaign at Jay Jagger's house and the Coffin Club. We designed the, the whole thing, murdered at the Manny Mission Motel. We didn't even have the uh, keys to the motel. Hold on. So he said you can't have. This was the owner. He said you can't have the motel, and you started to the promote motel. the motel as if it was yours. Well, no. no. We started to shoot the campaign. We just, we just ignored. We just, we just ignored. He said you can't have the motel. I'm selling it to a German pimp for two hundred million pesetas. I said to him, Look, everything I wanted in the last four years, I've got, and now I want your motel. So I'm sure I'm going to get it. Call me when it falls through with a German pimp. And then we went back and shot the campaign. And then got so back this, this to the is, island. This is why our business partners pulled out because we just did whatever we wanted. Yeah. So we just flew off, shot the whole campaign, which was our best campaign yet. It was immediately banned by the base magazine, of course, but we didn't yeah. mind that either. Yeah. Um, got back to the island, the phone rings, it's fallen through with a German pimp, the motel's yours if you want it. So we said, great. So we said, great. Then the phone rings again, and it's our business partner saying, we want nothing to do with this. You two are out of your mind. So then we had to go and meet the owner and try and explain the fact that we didn't have the money to yes. actually rent his motel. So then we made an agreement that we'd rent it together. We would still have to find the money. We still had to way. find the money, which was about 50 grand. So we'd been drinking loads and loads of heavy red Spanish red wine. And he was like, you guys, are and we still had to go to promote it in Pasha. And he, got, he was like, you look really sleepy. Why don't you try some of this? And he opened his briefcase and he had these little blue pills, um, Valium. So he was like, take some Valium, it'll sort you out. So we were like, are you we'd sure? never tried Valium. <laughs> so we said, tried Valium. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, so it'll straighten you yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. So, so we so take that. Oh, oh, no. That was a disaster. Disaster. The, the night rolls on, we're in Pasha, and everyone tries to sort us out as they do in Ibiza with other substances and shots. Um, <coughs> by the end of the night, we had this idea to go and break into the motel, show our friends how cool it was. Mm -hmm. So literally Mike jumps through a window with the next like five minutes, we were all like tumbling in, like scrambling up the stairs. Uh, you know, the last madam had like kept hold of it, but it was like it'd been like, dormant for ages. Yeah, it? it was. And there was like, you know, the water sleeping beds. Sleeping Beauty was, kind of like it's frozen in time. It was like. It was sleeping in sleeping Beauty's kind of bordello. It was, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
So we were kind of like rambling around in this super cool but very dusty, uh, you know, decadent um, motel. And um, Vaughan, our friend we were talking about earlier, he said to uh, Mike, talk to Ralph. Um, he's got the money. And our friend Ralph was one of the guys who was with us. And um, there's a line in the book I say that in Ibiza, one of the things you learn very early on is not to ask people uh, what, 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 what they, they do. do. It's just not a thing. It's just you don't ask people because a lot of people had come there and they'd left the past behind and it's just, you just no, don't you ask. didn't know what somebody's job was, if you it wasn't obvious, ask. if it was like, we're Mike and Claire from Manny Mission, you know exactly what we do. You know, you are Simone from MTV, you know exactly what you do. But like a lot of our friends, you just don't know what the hell they do. So right. he was one of these guys, basically. <laughs> and and he had a gun. And anyway, he we, we, we lent, he lent us the money to... Um, to um, to run the, to, 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 to rent, rent and renovate, and renovate the, motor. the motor, and he also fueled a lot of the uh, the habits that um, that went on. <laughs> that went on, mm-hmm. yeah. So that was kind of how it began. So, so everything was free. I can't remember. I mean, did people pay to stay there? Did we pay? Did we pay for drinks? I can't remember any of it. Like, well, it was um, supposed to run as a business. I mean, yeah. Eric, the owner. Um, kind of ran it as a business but then we would we'd send all our manumission cash we, were very into, we said it was like a well. hobby for us so yeah. it didn't matter so we would pay wages we'd pay bar bills that weren't covered we were and, and that went on basically all summer long and right up to almost christmas when uh so when yeah. basically <laughs> the money ran out the electricity was cut the water was cut the, the police cut the sound so take the sound, the sound system off and, and that was it the, we uh, went home with our tails between our legs so so yeah. how long was the was the motel open for it literally that that year was the year um it was six months that year and then we ran it for two more um summers but that was the but one. then it attempted to run as a business yeah so then the real crazy wild and free motel was was, was really that was and we really weren't living year. there anymore it was just so six it was, months yeah, yeah. craziness we all... what because in my mind yeah. i was there several times oh you probably came back again yeah it was open yeah. for more years it was open and for two was, more summers and it wasn't it was still great but it was never as wild and crazy as, as that, that first very first summer. year ah, someone else who was there around that time let me play you another clip Hold on, let me do another okay. show here. It's like, this is your life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mixmag, August 2004, an eyewitness report from Fatboy Slim. Manumission was the first club to book me in Ibiza in 1997. It was carnage. John Carter was with me and they scared us when we arrived. But by the end of a three-day bender, we were scaring them. John got decked by a tranny, and I accidentally leaned on a dwarf, thinking he was part of the furniture. I've been back every year since. I met Zoe at the Manumission Motel and went back with her in 1999 for my birthday. The flyer for the night had a drawing of Zoe riding a donkey naked. You could have knocked me down with a feather when she jumped out of a giant cake on stage. It was a complete surprise. Yeah. (laughs) Do you remember Do you remember that? Sure, yeah, of course. Yes, which bit? The, um, the jumping out of the, the cake. cake or the yes. John and Norman and John's first visit. I remember it super clearly. It was hilarious. John thought he got knocked out by a drag queen. I, I no, just, he thought he was punched out by a dwarf. He thought he was punched out by little Karen, who's a midget, but because she took a liking to him and she was doing the running man in front of him. And he was so out of his mind. And then a friend of mine, Anna Maria, he, and he got me in a headlock and was front, doing that to my hair. And then a friend of mine, Anna Maria, who's a woman, but she, she, she's like a drag queen. She hangs out with all the drag queens. She's the one who punched him. <laughs> so, <laughs> the whole thing is just, just, just completely right. And I was in such hysterics because I found it was so ridiculous that I couldn't explain anything. So he um, still remembers it like that. He still remembers it like that. And, yeah. uh, and I remember, yeah, Zoe jumping out the cake. And because Norman, um, I said, Norm, come with me. And he says, Claire, your wife's in the club. And he looked me in the eye and he says, I'm trusting you. And I was like, it was oh, his birthday. It was his birthday. And I was like, come with me, Norm. And he's like, and then, and then when Zoe jumped out, he was like, oh, he's like, no strippers. <laughs> no strippers. <laughs> so he was really happy. It was really cute. <laughs> And Zoe said she'd always wanted to be a showgirl, so for her it was like, yeah, the dream jump out of the cake. 
So was that so? So the night when those two met, because I know I was there then. So was that that same weekend then? That was the same weekend. weekend. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's all yeah. it's all quite mixed. We love your story. Sorry. You're gonna you're gonna write down your memories for us. For yeah, my memories are uh, yeah a little bit hazy too, but I remember some stuff for sure. So how did yeah. your? We're talking about your family earlier. How did your? family how did your parents react to to manumission to the shows you guys were doing to all the extravagance around it how how was that perceived yeah i mean you know it was a bit of a like uh my parents are really open-minded and they back me with absolutely everything um that we do they're amazing they're like a pillar of strength um and you know, when it landed on my grandmother's front door on my on my, on my uh, the morning of my twenty fourth birthday, uh, that same weekend, that same weekend, the du double spread, <laughs> double page spread in the Daily Mail, saying that I was like the uh, Mail on Sunday, uh, Mail on Sunday, yeah. saying um, I don't know. Anyway, um, so then it led to my grandma calling me the porn queen, which obviously isn't like, and I love my grandparents. I'm really old fashioned, so it was just like, oh god. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a bit of, you know, friction within the family, but my mum always stood up for me. And my parents actually loved manumission. They used to come every single year. My grandparents, grandparents my grandparents yeah. came every year, and then wow. we'd be like, "Have the grandparents left the building?" Okay, <laughs> the show can go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they just loved the flamboyance of it. They loved the, you know, um, they didn't like it when it got really crazy. Obviously, in the motel year when, when. When it was too druggy. When it was too druggy, and you and now watching the tapes, you can literally from ninety seven when we shot the movie to ninety eight, you can literally see us dissolving in front of the camera. Yeah. You know, so they obviously that was really hard for the family. Um, but then, yeah, as we kind of the motel uh, ended and the shows became much more spectacular uh, on a much grander scale, they loved that. Um, yeah, so but it, it was hard. You know, it was. Um, it caused a lot of friction, didn't yeah. it? I'm sure it caused a bit of stress in my family too. It definitely caused stress yeah, yeah. in Mike's family. Yeah. But I always thought, you know, it's they're all grown up, they can take it. Yeah. You know, it's like, for me it was always, I don't know, um, it wasn't really for public viewing. It, it was a private world that, that, you know, the press were generally banned from. I mean, except, you know, except when we were insane enough to make a movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it was. And the whole reasons, you know, it wasn't actually supposed to be us doing it in the first place. That all just happened. It's all just part of the, the weird chain of, you know, of, of events. Mm -hmm. um, it was never supposed to be us doing it. That just, yeah. So how did that so, happen then? So if it wasn't, so what, what was it meant to be? Well, first it was meant to be Otter. Right. It was, we, well, wanted, we couldn't find. We Otto. couldn't find Otto. This is before anybody had telephones. We knew it was an essential know. element in the party. We have to have that thing, yeah. and we need Otto. Oh, we can't find Otto. Um, I won't go into it in too much detail because it's a little bit um, graphic. But um, so a friend of ours, he um, had an amazing uh, girlfriend in Amsterdam, was six foot and, and Dutch, and she said, he said she's amazing. She's super open-minded. She's beautiful. She'll do anything. Just fly her in. So we flew her over and we had some girls who were really cool to be for chicks to do the show with her, but she refused to do it with, she wouldn't do it with any of them, but she said she'd do it with me. And so then I am put in a position where I don't believe in asking people to do things that I won't do myself. Um, however, what she asked me to do was quite strong, um, but I did it and, and that, and then. And you got a ton of praise from all the drag kids. And the, and the women. And, the and women. it was the reaction afterwards yeah. was really kind of, um, Interesting. and interesting yeah. yeah and polarizing and everything um wow yeah. yeah i stepped in once her boyfriend got jealous and, and she uh, was made to leave and that's where i got it and that's yeah. <laughs> okay. it was, uh, yeah crazy you yeah. were saying that it was quite hard for your parents to witness when things started to get more druggy and more out of hand with with the motel because i remember being back at the motel so this might have been another year where I wasn't filming, I was just there. And I remember I was a bit more quietly just observing it at that point and going, okay, this is not right anymore. Like this can go really drastically wrong. Like it felt almost, I was looking around going, is someone going to die here? Like 
you know, it, it started to get. There definitely was a time where the kind of the, the magic waned, didn't it? Mm -hmm. Definitely, I think, I think, it's, yeah, I mean, it broke, mm -hmm. you know, um, with just the excesses and just, you know, it was like a, an experiment that we, you know, we put ourselves in it and mm -hmm. didn't really think think through the reality of, of the of, of like <laughs> amazing concoction. We just didn't really think think it through. Um, and then living it, uh, you know, night after night, um, week after week, uh, it just, you know, it just, it just snapped. And, and then, yeah, then, then the energy changed. It really did. The, the whole kind of feeling mm -hmm. changed. Mm -hmm. So I guess um, at that point it made sense for it to, to go. It didn't stop then. It didn't it stop carried then. on for it a while. For, for, for <laughs> it just changed. Yeah. yeah. But nobody died, thank Nobody died. Phew. Yeah. Hey, and, and so you guys never really made much money out of any of it, right? You you just kept putting uh, all the money back into it. Yeah. We never really cared about money. We didn't That's care amazing. about money. A lot, of people, a lot of people who worked with us cared about money. And the island got very rich um, through mm. what we were doing. But but we would take our money out and feed it back in. It was just like fuel for our art. So whatever we wanted to do, we, we could afford to do, which was, you know, which is amazing as an artist to be able to um, produce all your own work. Um, but yeah, we wish we were a little bit harder now on the other people maybe who didn't need to take quite so much, you know, money out. But it's, and it's interesting to actually say as an artist, so you really also, well, I guess in the way you are, but you also see yourself more as an artist than as a club promoter, club owner, whatever. It was, that was what... Promotion, I mean, what is a club promoter? I mean, promotion was part of what we did. And we mm. did we did everything hands-on, everything ourselves. Sure. Promotion, like we, we designed the advertising campaigns. We designed the concept, we wrote, we wrote the, the stories. Um, we, we, we directed the photo shoots. We uh, you know, cast like, the photo shoots. We cast the dancers. We, you know... We created this world, wow. and, and, and really, I don't think there's actually it, a word for it's for, like making a movie, except a movie you live in. So they're all the you've got your costume department, you've got all the different departments, and and, we, um, and, and now too we and work closely to live with it. all the heads, and yeah. then and then yeah, we live it through till till, till we drop at the end. So you were like the directors <laughs> we, and the artists, basically. Yeah, yeah, yes, right, yeah, and the promoter. Wow, so a lot. So. Um, and then, of course, it was over, right? It all came to yeah. an end. So, how was that? I mean, did, did I mean, did, did you still have a lot of the same friends that people just disappear? I mean, how how was oh, that? the end of Manu Mission? Yeah. The actual end of Manu Mission. Oh, it was like it was, well, you should probably talk about the end of Privilege because that was the yeah, weird thing, right? Yeah, it was. I mean, a complete shock. Um, it was like a trauma, really, you know, it'd been such a huge part of our lives. Mm -hmm. And there was a um, an ongoing battle between our business partner and the club owner. And it just came to a, you know, a, a head and he'd locked, he'd chained the doors of the club the year before when there were 4,000 people inside and 4,000 people out. And he said, unless we renegotiated, he wasn't going to unlock the doors. Um, and we renegotiated, um, but he... He was super angry with our partner and he um, just he just like locked the doors um, peak season um, 2014 no. no 2007 2007 yeah. yeah it was our record every year um, and my birthday weekend and um, yeah and that was it we just said okay enough we just walked away we just said okay I don't know enough um, yeah basically the stupid club owner locked the door on his most successful night the Ever. most successful <laughs> club night in the world probably he just locked the door on it and fucked himself so really he after that he never really recovered and Manny Mish was pretty much over and uh, you know we did move for a couple of years to amnesia but it wasn't the same no. because it, Manny Mish was really we'd grown it in privilege which was cool before but we, we that was our, our studio that was our playground and we were the only thing that ever really worked in there or already has since to nobody's ever had as long a run as successful run as we did and now it's sitting actually this year completely empty because there's other legal battles on so it's got uh, it's overgrown with grown with weeds and it's just abandoned wow this 
the world's biggest club. And uh, but it is weird. Know. I mean, we we kind of were very reclusive after that, and we we actually needed the time with our children. Yeah, yeah. You know, because the schedule for doing manumission was insane. Um, so we really wanted to st- take time back. And Micah found this amazing um, true life story in, in a book in New York, mm-hmm. and we set about learning to learning the art of screenwriting. screenwriting. Right. You know, it was another obsession of ours. So we spent ten years working on a film script. Yeah. Um, which was amazing, and we just and which we got it to Andy Circus. He read it, loved it, said he wanted to play the the title role in the, of the film. Yeah, and um, directed and, and directed too. And yeah. uh, it's still not been made yet, but uh, you know, hopefully down the line that will happen. Right. And, but I think we needed to stop with manumission. You know, it was it was, it was important to see the kids grow. I was going to so, say right. you already had your kids, so do you think that was in a way also your saving grace because? You know, Probably. if you hadn't had your kids, you might have just fallen into this big black hole. But now, of course, there was this whole new focus. There was your your family life. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. We had the kids, we had yeah. the animals, we had loads yeah. of like yeah. chickens, we had pigs, we had ducks, we had goats. It sounds like my life. Yes. Same thing, just buggered off and went to the jungle. Um, yeah. But it's, it's funny, isn't it, how... Um, I think that in a way, like our generation, we seem to be the first generation that, you know, partied a lot, then had kids, maybe pulled back a little bit. And now that the kids are grown, a lot of people, our generation now are starting to come back out, wanting to Absolutely. go out again, wanting to create yeah. again. Of course, lockdown, COVID, all this stuff also made people really reassess. But it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? It's a very different thing yeah. from generations that came before, don't you think? Yeah, I, I think there really is a real renaissance at the moment. There's this amazing feeling of, um, yeah, like a rebirth and um, and also totally after lockdown being so, you know, um, strained and unfree. Um, yeah, so, yeah, we just, we just, we spent, we worked every day through lockdown. We didn't take a, a day off. We took like two days off at Easter, I think, at some stage. Um, but we worked every single day. Um, writing our new um show so, and the book and the book yeah we yeah. just we were like churning, churning yeah so what could we do with yeah. the book you know which is now going to be edited and polished and structured together and it's going to be great i mean and and then we worked on this new uh Manny mission 2.0 tell me and about lucky it. Thing. right so, so so one of the positive things that came out of lockdown for us is that we um amassed this amazing t- team for our movie really high level team um, uh, that we never had time to talk to because they were always, you know, on one project or another. They're like in LA, Vegas and London. Mm-hmm. Um, but during lockdown, we managed to hold weekly meetings and together we were talking about the state of nightlife, like what it had got to from where it had been before, how much fun and freedom there had been before into this whole DJ culture. Of people how just this kind of corporate DJ as concert model where Instead of it being a band, you put a DJ at the end of the room, raise them up, put a kind of light show around them if you're lucky, and that's it. It's DJ as concert. And we were like, this is shit. Yeah. This is really, really, really crap. Mm-hmm. And everybody sits in front of but because the, the PR mechanism of the world says, this is great, this is great, everybody goes queuing up and playing and having this experience. And it's really, really, but it's a good business, but it's really, really uninspiring creatively in our time. So we had this discussion with our... Um, our partners, our friends, and we, we decided to... We thought, why don't we just pull all of our talents and put them into uh, developing this whole new nightlife, it's totally revolutionising nightlife. So t- two of our partners, Rich and Tone Talawega, they're Madonna's show directors, and they were discovered by Diana Ross. And no, yeah, their first job was Diana Ross. Diana Ross and Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson chore- discovered them. They, they choreographed Michael Jackson. Everybody from J-Lo to Miley Cyrus. And then, and then one of our other partners, Ben Potvin, he was very high up in uh, Cirque du Soleil as a creative, oh wow, an acrobatic choreographer. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Mark, our partner from London, he used to be Goldie's producer. Actually, he used to produce Goldie and Tribe Quest and stuff. And then he went into cinema, so now he does film scores. Mm-hmm. Um, so together we make this like um, interesting collective, and we really took advantage of having them grounded. And we we spent like two years designing this whole new experience. This, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, uh, Manumission Two Point Zero. So, what it's called, Animus Omnis. 
so I'll tell you very briefly um, the, the storyline. Uh, in my black spot in the Manny Mission Motel over that weekend, we decided to, everybody has a black spot, and I decided to, let's delve into my black spot and see what, what was going on inside that. So in my black spot, I have an encounter with a superior being, and her name is Aeolian. So it's a cross between uh, AI, artificial intelligence, and alien. She's called Aeolian. So I have this meeting with this superior being, and she's been watching, she lives on this planet 25 light years away, and she's been studying planet Earth. And so what she sees is uh, 1997. And she's been seeing this violence and all this like war and famine. Then she comes to this one little spot in the Mediterranean and she finds love, harmony. She finds manumission. So she takes that upon herself as her kind of new religion. And on their planet. On their planet. But things get warped in uh, space time. And man the words of manumission get letters. jumbled. The letters, sorry, get jumbled. And they become animus omnis, which is also Latin, but it means all souls. So... The, uh, so the new production is, our collective is it's called, called Animus Omnis, and the new show is Aeolian. And she's like this goddess, and what she does is her kind of sci-fi take on what we were doing back then. So that's what we're kind of, yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, so yeah. when, when can people experience this? What's, what's going to be your timeline? So we're doing six parties this summer, mm -hmm. six uh, events. We launched the last one. We launched on May the 8th, May and the, 8th. the next one is June the 12th, and yeah. it's the second Sunday of every month. In Ibiza. In Ibiza, and it's at O Beach, uh, which is a beautiful day club. So it starts, it's all like upside down, it starts in the daytime, and then the carry-on starts at midnight. Mm -hmm. um, and it's beautiful, our daughter Tallulah uh, sings in the show. And so, so the first like the first scene is like this animus omnis chant, and then I come up and I have this kind of meeting with Aeolian, and then I meet my own daughter 25 years in, in the future. So it's yeah, it's quite amazing. It's wow. like really theatrical. Oh, yeah. It's really yeah. cute. Yeah, we're working with amazing modern dancers and from all over Europe, all and over an amazing Europe. choreographer from London, mm. Jody Blemings, fantastic, mm. and and we've got like a multi instrumentalist in Brazil making the show music that Tallulah sings to so it's like a real world kind of and fashion wise we're doing like for the costume we've done a mix with Anne Summers and this the head designer of Gianfranco Ferrer Vittorio Capizzi who's done this couture meets Anne Summers so it's like really really high level fashion wise but sexy at the same sexy. time so it's got that yeah, yeah. so so is it is it just sexy? I mean, does sex still play a part in it or not really? Like, there's no sex no, shows anymore. No, no. God, no, okay. no. But, I think but, that's <laughs> illegal, I reckon. I think it always was illegal. But I, I, how, what we're doing now, we've got um, contemporary dancers playing sexed up AI leaders. Right. And it's, I mean, they're just amazing the way they move. Um, it's like, it's just a whole other, you know, um, a whole other exploration. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, we did that, you know, we did it so much. There was nothing that we, you know, there's no more to do in that yeah. area. I mean, we've got the old footage and at some stage we'll make something out of it. I don't know what. Mm -hmm. We've been talking to Chris Needs a lot about making a um, a series, but like an animated, you know, motel series. Um, kind of Netflix type that motel That would be fun. Series. That would be fun. Yeah, because also, I mean, now you have your own kids, so I don't know how much of the old footage you would actually want to start sharing, you know. You know. It would be better to recreate it. <laughs> I think recreate yeah. it and then have flashes of the original right. stuff. Right. I think it's, it's amazing for us to have as a reference. When we first took it out of the, the boxes when we, when we moved um, to Barcelona, the, our first reaction was just let's burn it. Literally, we we played the tapes and we were like, "Oh my god, what, what the hell!" Wow. And then we were like, "Okay, let's just put it back and leave it for a minute." And yeah. so we haven't burnt it yet. No, but, uh, don't burn it. Don't burn it. Leave it. Talking about burning, <laughs> last little thing I want to share with you. Okay, one last one last screen share. Disaster almost burned the club to the ground just after two a.m. in nineteen ninety seven. Luckily, a flyer saved the day as the club was being evacuated, but almost killed himself in the process. Elliot Cox, now Manumission's operations manager, was on the dance floor when the club caught fire.
He says, I'd finished flying for the night and was with my mates in the club. A transvestite who used to do spin through the air on trapeze wires was doing his fire show when some sparks hit the main room's huge curtain. It caught fire, but the audience thought it was just part of the show. The fire spread to flags on the wall, so me and the guy climbed up and started pulling them down. One flag fell my way, so I jumped to avoid it, fell 20 feet and broke my leg. I got out of hospital at 9am, went straight to the breakfast club after party at Bar M in my pants. The doctors had to cut off my trousers to a hero's welcome. Yes. Yeah, remember that. Remember that very clearly. Yeah. 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 People did think it was part of the show. Wow. And I saw a video of it recently, actually, and um, it really looked like it was part of the There actually the show. is video of that moment as well. Oh, my God. There is. Yeah. 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 yeah, and Elliot, he did. He, he leapt and pulled... From the balcony. Pulled the banner the burning, down. The burning curtain down. And um, broke his leg, so he was like the hero of Manu Mission wow. for the whole summer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a way, you guys have been really lucky. I mean, you've been bobbing and weaving your way around. I mean, really teetering on the edge with a lot of this stuff. It was so yeah. risky, everything, you know, even this. I mean, yeah. just imagine. I mean, it's just crazy what could oh, have God. happened, and yet you've come through everything. I think mm. we've been, um, yeah. We've been helped, yeah. <laughs> we've been guided, blessed. blessed. And you have all this material out there. Oh my God, I really, I want I want to see so much of this stuff. I hope it's going to come out at some point. And I'm really looking forward to the book. What's it going to be called? The Motel. The Motel. Okay. Yeah, it's The Motel. High Times in 90s Ibiza, and, and it's written from my perspective um, as a young woman, like waking up on, on the morning of that weekend. So... Um, yeah, it's uh, wow. We have to take us right back there. It's written in real time. Uh, there, there are two kind of storylines, but yeah, it's written in real time, and then we go back to when we met and everything. And um, but yeah, yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. Oh, so exciting, Mike Claire. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was lovely catching up with you. Lovely, yeah. both stressed and we see each other we laugh about it and that is so important in life because we went you don't need to bore the listeners with all the stress we've got mm -hmm. going on but we yes laugh. right now i'm stressed because my 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 yeah. brain is now, fried from of... this heat here in belize but yes go on james okay did you have any laughs i bet you had a lot with claire yeah. oh. and Mike. tell me and the other thing i just say did they did any any regrets did they have any regrets going back into their past? Yes and no. Um, they did tell me that when they first looked back at the videos from that time, their first reaction was, let's burn them. So, hmm. But wow. they haven't. The thing is, right, with Manumission, it really was all about freedom. How far can you push freedom when you take away all restraints, everything that society tells you that you should and shouldn't do, if you completely throw that out the window, what happens? That's what that was. And it doesn't always look pretty. You Very know, dangerous. you don't always look back and go, oh, that was great. That was a good idea. But at the same time, I think it was really important that it was done. It was good that it was done. Um, I think as well, overall, they're very proud of what they did with Manumission. So, yeah, someone might look at, you know, for instance, the shows they were doing, you know, a, a live sex show on stage. And some may say that that is degrading or exploitative or whatever. But in their case, what was so unusual was they didn't need to do this. You know, they owned the club. They were in a position of power and yet they chose to do this. And that's what makes this whole thing different. It's almost as if they crossed the boundary to such an extent and went so far that everyone else who mm. came behind us had the freedom to be who they were, to do what they wanted to do, and everything was okay. And they already gone further than anyone else. And I think that's what made all of that so different. So do you approve? I mean, do you think anything they did was kind of maybe degrading, immoral, bad, you wouldn't want your kids to see? Uh, 
Well, like I said, uh, they have come to different conclusions for themselves now. I mean, they, they wouldn't do that, that anymore. But what do you think? What but do you I, think? You personally. What do I think? Well, so for instance, okay, so for instance, I had a friend who called me and she said for her, it she felt really empowered watching Claire, you know, to, to in her mind, celebrating her sexuality openly like that. I didn't feel that. Um... It, it didn't, to me, it's like people do whatever they want to do. As long as they don't hurt anyone, I don't really care. But it doesn't, uh, it, it doesn't make me feel any different about my own sexuality. It's not influenced by what anyone else does. So it's not something I would ever do. Um, but that's as far as it goes. I think that whatever makes people happy and, um, yeah, live and let live, I would say. I'm very Dutch. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm very Dutch. So, yeah. Um, but it's funny. I think sometimes by, by throwing off all the morals that society has placed on you, it still doesn't mean that you might not end up eventually having those same morals again. But you've made that decision. It's not like mm. you've taken them on because someone told you to. It's like, and I think that's kind of You have the choice. They, you have the choice. Right. And, and they and may that's have key. experimented that's key. with certain things, also also with mind-altering substances and, and just that kind of excess. And then going, okay, am I cool with this? Well, no, maybe not. But it doesn't, they don't have to therefore judge trying these things in a negative way. Do you know what I mean? But I, it's interesting, basically. I think the whole discussion was fascinating. They are fascinating. And I'm super excited about them being back because I do believe um, what Mike was saying in the interview that these days clubbing has become quite dull again because everybody's just looking at a dj right they're looking at a mm. dj there's a light show around it and that's it and they're like there's so much and they're holding up their done. phones they're even just holding up their phones that they're, they're not immersing yeah, themselves but, in the moment right but whether or not you're going to take that away i don't know but at least start bringing some creativity and and yeah art back into it and that's what they're doing with their new um venture in Ibiza so very very excited about that yeah great stuff I look forward as ever to the listen and uh, yeah nice